0: Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castro's Rejo to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rejo, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So, what's your car best suited to? Just search Rejo, the number two, and Oil and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, you have landed at the right place. This is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. I'm Aaron Noon, and on this episode of the pod, we add another Bathurst 1000 winner and supercars champion to our library in the form of Mark Winterbottom. Now, Frosty's one of the stars of supercars across the last 15 years. He's been in it all. And we delve and dive into a whole range of topics in this chat with a particular focus on his history at the mountain and in the mighty Bathurst 1000. There's highs, there's lows, and pretty much everything in between. So on the first part of a three-part sit-down chat, we talk about his early years at the mountain, the pathway to that debut with Stone Brothers Racing, and how going into V8 supercars wasn't originally the plan for 2003. We talk about the years with Larko, Mark Larkin and the Orcon team and then we deep dive that pathway that he went on with Ford Performance Racing and all of the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations to finally getting the Peter Brock Trophy won and done in 2013. Frosty gives us some really great insights and peels back the layers to take a deeper look at each of those Bathurst races and how the one that got away in 2007 helped him get the job done six years later. I think you'll really enjoy this. So buckle up, settle in, and enjoy. Mark Winterbottom, part one of the V8 Sleuth podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. Frosty, you are on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Take a little while, but we've got there. Welcome aboard.
1: Yeah, I had to keep racing just to get on the show, didn't I? So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good to be on, mate.
0: Uh, mate, we wanted to have a chat to you because there's so many elements. Obviously, this year, winning Darwin, we'll cover off some of that. It's the 60th anniversary of the great race at Bathurst this year. You're a big part of the modern supercars history of that race and that place. And it's 20 years since you first turned up there um, as well. So there's all these nice little anniversaries, and we love an anniversary. So we're going to, and it's 10 years since you had your win with Richo. And I've had a little chat to Richo, by the way. I've been sussing out some goss to ask you from Richo, but perhaps the most biggest ticket element that came out of it was ask Frosty about karaoke <laughs> what is the winner bottom richard's karaoke thing was this like in the back of the truck getting changed or what was all this <laughs>
1: um yeah richo richo is one of the best human beings you'll ever meet you know True. he is uh what you see is what you get and um you know my years racing with him were were some of the most fun when he was a teammate and then you know when he was a a co-driver as well or main driver because he's not a co-driver he's a he was a main driver mm. that I got to team up with um but you know he's he's actually his facade's quite calm and cool but uh he's, he's a bit of a groover in the background so um yeah I don't mind belting out a few tunes in the truck and uh is a bit of a He's got a few breakdance moves that um, I have that, heard this from back in the day. Yeah, that come out. Well, I don't know about back in the day because it still happens. Oh, they're still coming yeah, out. There's no age limit. Well, they started back. in the They started back in the day. <laughs> they yeah, yeah. Back in the day. But um, so yeah, we will just have fun, and that's uh, you know that's uh, that's what bathurst is. You know, you need that teammate, or um, you know that that guy or girl that you go into battle with that you can. When it's serious, he is one of the most serious guys you can ever meet. But when there's a bit of stress and stuff. He knows how to play that too. So, um, yeah, so I've belted out tunes to him dancing in the truck, which from the outside probably looks really, really weird. But from the inside, we thought it was pretty cool. A couple of old blokes having a bit of fun. So, um, uh, yeah, inside those trucks, if those walls could talk, which thankfully (laughs) they don't, um, you know, they'd tell some stories.
0: So, are we talking like '80s power ballads? Are we talking a bit of rap? What, what, what's the oh, go-to? What's the go-to?
1: I'd, I'd like to think I'm cool, but um, it's I'm probably more a diva than anything. So, <laughs> so uh, him break dancing to uh, Mariah Mariah Carey or something's probably not that great either. But um, now we just had fun, you know. Like everyone's got their way to calm their nerves, and I remember in '07 actually when um, when it was we were on provisional pole and it was raining. And um, before the shootout, I'd never done a shootout before, absolutely shitting myself um, lying there. And I said to Richo, Mo, I'm, I'm never driven here in the wet. You've done so many years, like you might have to do this because, I, you know, one lap in the rain might be your time. And he's like, nah, like, you know, full faith in you. And then he starts breakdancing and I'm like, okay, we're cool, you know. So, <laughs> so he knew how to turn a serious situation into something that um, – calmed me or you know made me click and um we ended up getting pole and it didn't rain thankfully but um yeah he just knows and, and uh yeah we had a lot of fun rich he's a yeah good guy i think in the i'm not
0: sure what episode number we're up to now 300 and something episodes of this podcast break dancing has never popped <laughs> up but it, we get there on a lot of topics and we finally got there with with break dancing um Bathurst is a big part of this and this is what we re- we really wanted to hone in on this with you. There'll be a time and a place somewhere way down the track for us to do the the retrospective Frosty and go from the start and look at all of the angles. But I wanted to hone in on Bathurst. What's your, were you like so many others watching it every year come October? Was it a passing interest that became more of an interest as you got closer to stepping up the, the ladder? Where, where were you at in the whole thing?
1: Uh, well, Bathurst was something that, the family turned on at home, you know, you and when you're three, four years old, you, it's probably unrealistic to say, you know, you run around in your nappies and <laughs> cruising around on a little, um, one of those little cars going, I'm going to race there. Like it's just a race. You don't understand it at that age. But um, the family every Sunday turned it on and literally it was on from 7, 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. And it was on all day and you go in and out and the family didn't move and we watched it, you know, that was kind of, what would happen? And I'd float as a kid, going, "What? Like, why are my parents watching this race? Um, <laughs> Can't be that good." Yeah. Well, what? What is it? And then every year you get a little bit older. And then um, I went up there when I was five years old and saw it for the first time in real life, and still didn't understand it. But um, so, hang on, you are five. So what's this? Nineteen eighty. 1980... Yeah. Hang on, was, hang on. When were you born? It must have been eighty six. Right. Um, yeah. You're an eighty one model, mate. Like yeah, yeah. So eighty six, yeah. which um, the family had a. Nissan Skyline, actually. And, oh, um, good
0: time to have a Skyline. Though. Yeah, a and it was going things. well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we took it up there and I remember um, my first uh, Bathurst memorabilia was a, um, a, a scar on my knee because I leant in to get something out of the boot <laughs> and uh, I got this big scar on my knee and burnt my knee on the exhaust and, um, and that was my first Bathurst memorabilia in, in some way. Um, but, yeah, it just kept going and then obviously when you start racing karts, that's when you start to believe that, oh, wow, you know, this is racing mm. and, okay, then maybe I could race there one day and that's 10 years old and then uh, you keep going along and then I only ever went a couple of times to watch it live because we'd always watch it at home. And, um, yeah, you still never believe it because when you, you're upbringing and – you kind of quite realistic on life of what you can afford and what you can't afford. And, um, you know, it was all that sort of stuff. So you would love to race there, but when it come a reality was pretty well formula Ford, which was, uh, 2002 when I raced there, I thought that was my first time on track in a race car. It was like far out this place is unbelievable. <laughs> and, and I have to race here, like no matter what happens, I have to race here. And, um, uh, you know, that's when it started to become realistic with stone brothers and all that side. But you know, it's, it was just entertainment and a cool race that you watched that um, got more realistic and more in demand or wanted as the years went on. So, um, but so ne- never thought I'd get there as a young kid.
0: But which side of the fence were you on as a kid? Were you a Brock fan, a Johnson uh, <laughs> fan? Where, where were you aligned?
1: Well, I was, uh, actually went for Dick Johnson and I bought his jumper and I went and lined up and said to him, can you sign my jumper? And he, and he told me, hey, I'm busy. Off you go, and um, and Peter Brock actually heard it and said, "Come here," gave me a jacket, signed it. So we're talking about uh, like Brock
0: in like the Mobile Sierra. Mobile type Sierra. Era. Era. I remember era. you talking
1: about this over time. Yep, yeah. and um, and gave me his jacket, sat in his car, and I was like, "This guy's a rock star," <laughs> and um, and went for Peter Brock, and that's you know, it's as simple as it was. But um, you know, and then as it went on, I actually started to go for Glenn Seton because. When I went to Bathurst, he put it on pole in the EL in that EL. Yeah, oh, the
0: Ford Credit. Ford Credit 96. EL. Yeah, that, that was the year he forgot to do his helmet up. That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one.
1: So, um, but I remember at 300k an hour and the note that that car had coming past the last corner at Bathurst. Um, I was like, I'm going to see that's it. And then you, you jump ship. You I jumped ship and yeah, I was on the bandwagon and wanted him to win and. Um, you Know to the heartache and, and all that sort of stuff. I really was on board and was a massive CETO fan. And to actually drive a Ford credit car down the track was yeah, really yeah. cool because yeah. it there's um, a link, it linked, yeah. And uh, but uh, yeah, Glenn Seton band, fan, and then um, yeah, that was probably yeah, I, I chopped, but I still had Peter Brock as the soft spot, like everyone does, whether mm. it's Lowndes or Brock or um, yeah, the people's champ, people I still think. go for him, and yeah. uh, and yeah, Brock was. Always won that year looked so, up to.
0: So it was a nice link many years later because in I think it was 2016, 10 years after his passing, we had a bunch of Brock cars up at Bathurst and you drove one of the mobile Sierras of, of PBs. So that so there was a really nice link. It wasn't just, hey, there's a Ford, you're a Ford bloke, we need someone to drive it, Frosty mm-hmm. Drive it. There's a really nice childhood personal connection to that.
1: Yeah, it was um yeah it was really cool. And obviously being the Ford guy back then, there's not many Ford products. Available that Brock Drive. So that's a very special car, you know. And yeah. um, The Mediki family owned that car and, um, you yeah, know, I remember they said, can you drive it? And literally didn't see or sit in the car until it was on the grid to go. And I was absolutely shitting myself like uh, to try and actually get this car off the line because people think Bathurst is high um, pressure, high state, which it is. But I have no drama lining up in a supercar on the grid. But when you're in an iconic car that means so much, and everybody's watching that tribute, and you're trying to get this turbo car off the line without spinning them up, and it was the hardest, <laughs> the hardest start I've ever done in my life that that had absolutely no relevance to performance. But um, trying to move that car off the line, oh my goodness! And then up the straight to stay with the car ahead, it was tracking and wheel spinning, and it was one of the best laps I've ever done <laughs> at Bathurst <laughs> for uh, for absolutely no reward. But um. What it does do is make you appreciate what those guys drove back then because, um, you know, I've got a lot of respect for the, the Brocks and the Moffats and the Johnsons and Bows and all those guys and driving that car. When that turbo kicked in, oh, my goodness, it is one of the wildest cars I've ever driven at 80 kilometres an hour. So, uh, But, yeah, amazing to be part of that tribute the wildest demo lap at Bathurst you'll probably <laughs> ever do
0: in your time. Well, actually,
1: I think Lowns almost stuck it in across the he top did, too. In so a I yeah. wasn't the only one struggling on that <laughs> day because, uh, yeah. He heart- had
0: a very near miss on TV a couple of years ago. Big moment. With uh, one of the Monaros from the, the Motor Racing Museum. I'm not sure they're going to let him loan a car <laughs> ever again, just quietly. Let's go back to 03. So that's when you started in V8s, um, the Stone Brothers um, opportunity with the Conica Series, Super 2 now. Um was an endurance drive at Bathurst part of it or was it a case of let's just see how you go here and if it's going good we'll we'll put you
1: in? Um, I, I don't really think it was on the cards. Like when, um, when I signed with Stone Brothers who uh, they, they were contemplating whether I run another year of Formula Ford because um, the year I went with Mike Ballin in 2002 was uh, we did it on a really low budget so not much testing. We literally rolled up, raced. And as the year got on, we, we got more and more competitive. And I think the, la- the first four, we got a bit of a beating and the last four actually did really well. So Stone Brothers thought, do we run you again in Formula Ford or um, we've got an AU here for a little bit more money. Um, we can put you in that. So kind of in November, December, it was like car, Formula Ford, car, okay, we'll go um, supercars. And the plan was two years and they you know were going to just let me run through. I worked at the workshop did all the chores and whatnot and, and um, become part of the team. And um, first race we won and they went, oh, well, this two-year plan kind of doesn't fit because both their drivers were contracted, both were winning championships. So it wasn't like you do one year like we see now in these and days.
0: Then, and here then you here's go. your
1: car and um, young guy, old guy. And it was a bit different back then. So um, first round we won, second round we won, third round we won. Um, and they and then they said, oh, hey, maybe you should run at Bathurst. And then on test days, you know, Ambrose drove my car. You were still a little bit quicker, but I was close to the times and, um, you know, showing good signs that when you do step up, you're going to be close in the mix, not Ambrose level in 03, but um, close. And um, But back then you could put your two main guys together, mm. which was really good because, you know, even today, like when you got guys that are really fast but young and raw, there's always that. Or he's never done Bathurst mm. and so would Embro's have had me he, he really nurtured me back then probably not with Ingle probably not so the, the perfect scenario was those two teamed up which left the second car and then it was a no-brainer to to be put in that and um, then I teamed up with Mark Nosky who has a lot of experience and, um, and and got that so I think I was lucky that the two main guys teamed up left a second car and we were doing well and It was like a no pressure car to race as well, which which was Which the teams
0: could do back then because of those driver rules at the time. The focus was on the main car. Focus on the main car. Because the big dogs were in that one. Triple Eight would bring out European drivers. Teams could try things. They could give a young bloke from Formula Ford or Formula Holden maybe a crack. And, you know, it was a nice feather in their cap to give a young driver an opportunity without the pressure of saying, right,
1: you're going to go and drive with the championship leader as the co-driver here. Don't Ugh. crash, high pressure, yeah. It was, it was no a good, good. situation. No but, good. It, you know, even like Courtney did it, um, Briscoe's done it, like mm. quite a few of us in from that karting era did it. So it was actually, um, yeah, it was really good. But with that car, I, I got uh, Campbell Little. It was a good car.
0: So, yeah, it was Russell's car and Russell's crew stayed with his
1: car Correct. and he was
0: the one who left to go to drive. Correct, the, the and the he, was a,
1: he was a good car, like... Um, to the point where uh, we could have won that race at, at Bathurst in 03 if um, we we, we uh, did a crown opinion up the top. So, um, But it was an eye opener, you know, because when you have the two main guys um, racing with each other, there's always the the internal, you know, am I going to qualify? Well, if he qualifies, I need to finish. There's and dick swinging going all, on. All you that, can say it. Is. All that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Where with Nosky and I, it was like, well, Who's far? Fu- oh Noske, you, you qualify. He's so chilled. Yeah, oh yeah. You totally. qualify and I'll jump in here and then um let's just see where we end up and Campbell's right oh, stop hitting people, stop doing this, stop doing that. And he was the he was the dad that was <laughs> that, that was uh telling us what to do. So it was a really good mix with no pressure at all. Um and it was it was really, really good fun.
0: So O three didn't it was a DNF, I think, as you said, Cranwell Opinion. Um what was it in, uh, mechanical? Sorry, yeah, didn't finish, I, I know. Didn't it, I know it well. Lap, I was gonna say, were you in yep. it
1: when it happened? Lap hundred and two. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> we're running uh, third outright. Actually, I, I love it when
0: drivers remember this shit. It's, yep.
1: Do you remember where you started that day? Uh, I was. I was gonna say eleventh. No. But it was thirteenth, I think. Eighteen. Eighteen or thirteenth? No, eleventh at Sandown it was. Ah, uh-huh, there you go. Yeah, yeah see, 18th, yeah, the memory's yep. working good. I like it. Yep. Like. Um, yeah, eighteenth there, but we were third on track, I remember it was um, Murph, Ellery and then then our car and the main car was actually running fifth or sixth. Oh, good. And which, you know, they, if we had to, it was about them because they were, Mm. you know, but we were just trucking on but I remember I started 18th, we had so much horsepower, the car was so fast in a straight line that people were blocking me and I'd just go around the outside of them going, this is easy, (laughs) how good is this, you know, and and, um, but yeah, I hit, a lot of cars on the way through, just treating it like a sprint race, to the point where Campbell said, A, you're out." Because I drove from 18th to seventh, I think, in the first stint or something, and the splitter had rubber all up, like it was, it was, it was on, <laughs> to the point where Campbell said, A, you're in, you're out, Noski's in." And then sat me down and said, listen, there's one car you haven't hit. It was a full cold Trickle safety car <laughs> thing. He's like, so when it's out, just go and smash into that, get it out of the way, and then you're done. Like I remember feeling like I've done something wrong. but um, And then, yeah, Noski, you went in and we're up to third. But then when it, uh, when it broke down, I remember we come out of um, the cutting, rolled up, and it, and it spun because obviously you lose drive. And then uh, Campbell said, righto, um, yep, we know what it is. Put it in neutral and do not stop at the top and come all the way to the bottom because like... Trust me. I know you don't stand at the don't stay at the top. No. And we no. rolled in, and it rolled into pit lane, got pushed in, and that was it. So um, day done.
0: Yeah, they don't want their car souvenired. Yeah, and, and that
1: the, was the years where the they used to throw toilet rolls on fire and the oh yeah, on. I have camped at the top of the yeah, mountain as a young so. bloke and
0: <laughs> hovered off the uh, air mattress, just waiting for a flaming <laughs> toilet roll to come flying through yeah. the roof of the tent. It's was it's, it's been cleaned up and much better <laughs> in the, the modern era. So 04, you go to main game with Larco, the Orcon team with Bargs. So there's a couple of years where you're sharing together because the rules were still that you could pair up. So you guys made a pretty great combo. So I think you were fifth in 04 with Bargs. Wasn't there a wasn't there a clash with one of the Velvoline cars at the top of Mount – was it McConville I think maybe that
1: – No, I had one with Tanda. It was a Tanda. Tanda it was that, yeah. that car. It was
0: those blokes yep. driving that car.
1: yep. Yep. What yeah, there? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think they ended up in the fence. One of them ended up in the fence, yeah. yeah I think it was – I don't know if it was Garth in the car at the time or or McConville. It was one of them but it was that car um, which, uh, yeah, I can't remember. He was on the inside I think and tried to squeeze a bit at, the, at turn two and, um, you know, when you're young you just – lap five means the same as lap 161. <laughs> you just have to – you're trying to win every lap so you race harder than probably in hindsight – um, an experienced guy thinks you should. And, um, yeah, they come off obviously second best. So well, I think they kept going actually and, and finished the race because I remember going to the toilet at one stage and I said, Oh, how you going, Matt? I had no idea it was his car to Garth and the reply was, how do you think I'm going when I'm shoved in the fence? But the car was still going. Cause I remember it was in his suit. So I mustn't have put him out of the race, but obviously He's gave him a bit more aero at the front than he wanted. <laughs> he or? clearly took it well. He really yeah. took
0: it well. So the next year it was, oh, that was when the big multi-car wreck was when Murph and Ambrose yep. had their thing. And I think it was Bargs in your Boggs, car. yeah. Yep. He ended up in that multi-car, nose to tail, everyone stops, someone stops in your boot, all that sort of stuff. So that wiped you blokes out for, for there. So by then do you feel like you're starting to understand the place, you're starting to get into it or is it taking a couple of years here before you start to really feel
1: comfortable? Um, It's funny, like the first, you know, three, although I was the junior, I was almost the main, I was the main driver of that car given I'd raced Super 2. So I qualified, um, started the race, did the stuff that what you call a main guy does or whatever, um, to then running with Bargs, he would qualify. So actually almost went full circle a little bit where, okay, pressure of quality, pressure of this, um, you know, start the race, build up for the finish or this to the point where Bugs was leading that team. So I almost had to – I didn't qualify, stood back a bit. Um, you know, he started the race or – so it kind of – so I don't know if I got a full handle on it until you went back into that main role but kind of was good to see it from both sides of um, – because when you're racing, you don't necessarily learn a lot till you step back and look at it. Um, so watching what was going on, I actually took a lot in from the garage. You almost become a fan of that other driver, support him. <laughs> you're to, you're it, part of the cheer squad. Yeah, yeah and it's, yeah. it's a weird thing, but you take a lot in. So I think when it come time to step up again as number, like the lead car, lead driver, whatever, I was ready in that sense. But I hadn't had the experience because... I'd only done it once and then even in 06, um, Bridie qualified and I still. it wasn't until 07 when I ran with Richo that I qualified the car and took that pressure on again. So um, you're always ready and you're ready to go but you still learn. You learn how to do it but then you've got to go in the car and do it and that's a different thing.
0: How did that – I think the story was that I recall um – your move to FPR for 2006, which sort of got you into that next phase of your career that, you know, you had that great period with that team for a very long time. Was it a Chinese restaurant where that deal got done (laughs) from my memory?
1: Yeah, it was um, back of Orton Park because it's funny when you go to do chats with other teams or whatever, not that I've done many because I was at one for 13 (laughs) years and and then obviously Charlie's for a long time too. So um, I don't do many of those deals or meetings but – the Tickford one was at a yeah little Vietnamese restaurant out the back of um, it was in Capramatta, out the back Oran Park there, and Gary Rogers and Barry Rogers were sitting at a table four over like you would not pick of all the places out of you all could the places. So now knowing Barry Rogers, it doesn't surprise me he would eat there because uh, he's uh, we're, we're very similar people. So I don't I don't yeah I'm not surprised now. But out of all the people you're there having a chat about. Do you want to join us? So you're with FPR? like Tim yeah, Edwards. Yeah, Tim and Edwards, and, Rob Barrett. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. sitting there and, uh, yeah, I can't remember. I was nervous, you know. Like I don't have managers, so I'm nervous to sit there myself. Um, yeah, and Barry, and Gary Rod just pop up at this Vietnamese joint in the middle of nowhere. It's
0: funny how often these sorts of stories pop up with these clandestine meetings, chats, catch-ups that are in places where you think there's no one that we're going to know that's going to be there and I've heard a few of these ones where people <laughs> have... Uh, it just accidentally appeared yep. at places that no one thought that they, that they might. Um, tell me about two, because this year we're, we're working actually, it's the 20th anniversary of Tickford Racing, which was FPR and, and Prodrive. You're a big part of that whole story. So 06 is where your period with them kicks off. As I mentioned before, it's a really long period. How did their style of car feel to you when you rolled up? So you've been driving a Stones car and then some Larco cars for a couple of years. How did you adapt to those cars, were they really different? How did Bridie have them going? I'm interested to rewind back a bit because it's sort of not something that would stop and think too much
1: about. Uh, well, you know, Stone Brothers car was was a championship winning car. It was fast, like brake, um, get off the brake, turn steering wheel, bang, turned, get on the throttle, boom, off you go. Like it was. It was a really, really good car with, you know, Campbell Little, um, Ken Douglas, all the crew, mm. um, Forgy, Baz, like the, the crew they had there was um So that car was jump in and like really good to then go to Larco's, which it was really hard. It had a good engine because I had a Stoney's engine, but, um, you know, I didn't have a full-time engineer and there's lots of, you know, things that you're not, um, it is what it is and, struggled to get the most out of it but at the end of my time at Larco a guy named Greg wheeler mm-hmm. who um, South African guy uh, I was desperate and and I went and got him because um, I needed an engineer he come on uh, so the same car built the same way with just different numbers he come on at Darwin we qualified third or whatever it was third in quality uh, eighth in the shootout at Willowbank and then Bathurst, we um, were trucking on quite strong as well. So the Larko car I had for one and a half years without him was really hard to then making momentum. To then joining Tickford, actually uh, went to Phillip Island in, I think it was like March or April, whatever it was, raced. And I remember doing like a, I think I did a one minute thirty four five say, lap time. Then I went to the Tickford ride day in November or December I did a 133.9 with a pass, with Tim Edwards in the car.
0: When you joined, like when, when you I signed joined, at the end of 05? When
1: I signed. So yeah. I went six-tenths quicker with Tim Edwards in the car at <laughs> Phillip Island and I, I instantly, regardless of handling traits, I instantly went, hey, Tim this is going to be good, you know. Like I've just beat my quality time by 6.10s with you in the car. With so, like, you know, yeah.
0: not to be dismissive to Tim, I don't know, at the time he's probably, I don't know, 90, 100, 95,
1: I don't know, 85. I was looking I'm for a sure. contract. I said 60. But <laughs> yeah. um, but he, uh, but yeah, in the car. So And and Brighty's clever. Like he is one of the guys that um, when you see him work and very unassuming from the outside but he's very clever and he had that car. Really down a path, you know. They they were really trucking on, and um, they had a few engine dramas and all that sort of stuff. But you could see that that was one of the plum seats to get, you know, mm-hmm. to be with him as well to race with him. But um but yeah, so when when you roll out in that car with a passenger in and beat it by six tenths, you you know you're <laughs> you're on for something pretty special. <laughs>
0: this could be okay. Yep. This could be okay. One of the things I remember too about the FPR cars of that era was they had no anti-roll bars in them. Uh, they did. Or was they it didn't. later on that they decided to pluck those out?
1: No, no, they always had roll bars in them. But the, um, the, uh, one of the big things I were doing because I would linked with ProDrive was all the simulation work that ProDrive um, UK would, would give all the information. So, um, But, you know, he, like in Australia they had Phil Key, they had um, Clint Wilson, they had some very, very smart um, engineers here too. So I remember driving it at Phillip Island which then we went to Adelaide which was round 1 and they had all this pro drive influence put into it and uh, and it was really hard to drive it was like well, and it might have been the no roll bars thing back then actually and it was like well where's this Philip Island car that I drove yeah, yeah, yeah I just not long ago yeah, I was like fly and and Brody really struggled too so which um, the next round was New Zealand and it went back to the Philip Island car and um I think we finished second in the, in the race yeah. there and podium, yeah. um, podium and and Bridie was fast, and um, you know it was it was back to what it was. So uh, yeah, it was funny, like a little an interesting transition. And I was not giving much contribution on car; just drove it. Brody, he was the guy who led it all, mm-hmm. and um, I inherited all his hard work. And car was fast, and then you start to put your input on it from there. What made
0: you believe more was it? Because I remember that Pukerui that was a, a podium that was kind of your your emerging first podium at the time. Sandown five hundred win with Bridie later in the year, which was a really close finish and was the team's first major win. They'd won with Lowndes, but that was kind of a red flag, wet race and mm-hmm. it's a win, but it yep. was, you know, it wasn't one that they were putting their flag in the ground on. And then of course you're you to Bathurst and it's fast, but it doesn't unfold. But where in that year did you of those things did you think, yes, I'm actually real deal here. I can actually fight. I've got the car now what I need. I've got it, how I need it and I can actually do this. This is actually – this is me.
1: Yeah, I think New Zealand was a big thing because, um, you know, I got beat up pretty hard at Larco's and it was um, – uh, you know, Larco was, was good to race for but, you know, I got beat up hard and probably – Beat up some, as in? Just uh, – Just – I probably wasn't ready for – you know, I was a number two driver then and probably wasn't ready for some of the – I don't mind um, – feedback or pressure but it's got to be justified too and i think i had a lot of pressure um maybe through what he was going through with selling the business and all that sort of stuff i think i wore some of that whether um you know because you're always getting told if you you know bang the door this cost this or this Mm. so i took Mm. a lot of pressure on that a young bloke they have got to you gotta and i realize now when you're young you gotta come in race um understand that they're gonna crash but they're fast Find their feet and boom off they go like you can calm them down a little bit rather than yeah jam up. raw and i think the how i was going then wasn't what i needed to, to get the most out of me because i went from stone brothers where you're really nurtured and bang to thrown out a little bit into a situation that yeah didn't really click for me and um to then uh you know i remember going to Tickford or FPR then, and um, yeah, the New Zealand was was big, you know, to to race and have the team believe in you and um, absolutely, you know, behind you, and then a teammate that didn't work against you, he helped you. And I remember Brady going, you know, I'll try this different, try that different. He was not hesitant at all to pass on all his knowledge, and I was very lucky because that's what I needed. When you're young, you need not two guys headbutting each mm. other, and you know. And, it, and it's not his job to do that it was just his nature to, to we got long and he takes you under his wing so um yeah you know, i knew from new zealand that um still had a lot to learn but i'm fast and in the right situation we can do it you know and then as the year goes on you get better and better and like you know make less mistakes and um and it starts to trigger and um you know i thought we were pretty good in 06 we ready from new zealand onwards
0: What's your standout memory about that Sandown 500? Oh, it was uh, such a yeah. close finish and it was out of your hands because yeah. you are in the pits watching.
1: But I, I, again, like having that guy that he doesn't feel – like you, you feel like he in a battle has control. Like I felt he's got this confidence and awe about him, Bridie, that when you work with him, nothing phases him too much or he, he gives that perception anyway. So when um, – I remember that race because I, I was meant to do 54 laps and get out and do the minimum. Do the co-driver thing and yeah. just, oh, you're done. but the safety car come out and actually ran till lap. I might have done like 108 laps or something. It went way longer than we should have and we're trucking on really well. So he only did 55 laps or something. So the
0: roll sort of got reversed. The roll reversed,
1: yeah. yeah. And um, so he hopped in and when he was in front and he had Rick Kelly behind him, it was like we're, we're a good chance. But um, but in the garage, you could feel the nerves because even Phil Keat is, you know, he, he's very animated and passionate and amped up and Bridie just, he's, uh, he's, he's a funny guy because he, he's probably got an extra large head but wears a large helmet. So his <laughs> cheek pads <laughs> his cheek pads um, you know, feels Are you good? And you hear this woo, 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 and it's like, Yeah, he's good, he's good. Like no one knows what he's saying, you know? Everyone's so, just going, Oh, you yeah, know, it sounds like okay. yeah, yeah, and then um yeah, break pass forward, break Phil, woo, and, then, and then and then he hears and it's like, All right, yeah, but he's good. Like so um uh, and off he went. But um he wasn't letting him pass. You could tell he wasn't letting him pass and that was a big win and yeah, to be part of that was, was really cool.
0: Bathurst, that was probably the first real chance to win by the time you'd done the Stonies thing, done the Larco thing. front I think Brody qualified in the front row. It was the Brock had died a month before, so the HRT car was on pole. It blows the clutch out. There's one of your contenders you don't have to deal with. Like yep. he's done, well, He was done further up Mountain Straitscape, but he was really done at the start line. The start, yep. So they're out of the way and you guys are done within what I think a, a stint I think it was an engine or something. from yeah, memory. What's the yep, standout yep. memory there? Because that, that's uh, the first chance of, you know, it, it became
1: a storyline for you for many years, but that was the first real opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think once um, that HRT car went, it was not a given, but Farad, it, it was probably the easiest race to win um, that we've had ever, you know, like mm. in, that, in that situation. Um, Bridie qualified second. He started and, um, yeah, we led by... 11 seconds or something like and then i remember he, there was some unclear comment that he said was a really a squishy helmet yeah. one whatever run this that he's got an engine problem it's like how do you understand like <laughs> right right uh, so then um in true yeah you know, true Bathurst style in he comes no problem when i got out and i, and I oh he did in. the brock to you No, i didn't but um but you know it i gave you a in. dead car he I jumped in with oh. seven cylinders and uh there was a safety car there's a car in the fence and i remember driving out and having to pass the tow truck on the way out and the thing was just coughing and spluttering and um and yeah so i did two laps that day and they were on seven cylinders and i passed a tow truck and a medical car so i had a pretty yeah two car pass and two laps but um had no relevance on the race so yeah that was yeah that was one that was uh you know but that's bath reliability and everything's part of it isn't it but um that car was fast again. It was fast. We just won sand down, a lot of confidence, and um, yeah, it was probably one of the easiest ones to win. And the irony of,
0: of that was it was the cat car, but it was your car, yeah, underneath. So they'd, they'd swapped the panels, so it became what it looked like Bridie's car, it was yeah. number six, but it was a- underneath it, it was actually your car,
1: yeah, which was um, yeah, it was interesting because uh. I'm trying to think who we had in the other car that year.
0: Um, uh, I reckon I can do this. Uh, what are we talking? Oh, 06. Maddie Halliday. Maddie Halliday. And Cam McLeod because Brabs could only do Bathurst, I think, from memory off the top of my head. Who was car? Who was... With, well, maybe it was Brabs was there. Brabs, I reckon it was... It was the next yeah. year, I think, that Brabs couldn't do... Yeah, Matty you know, Halliday was, it was at It yeah. somewhere around there, yeah. And um,
1: I remember we stood there and watched that car for a while but then it had a bad day too. So um, yeah, it was all over quite... <laughs> time to go home. <laughs> quite quickly, yeah. So we went home and... Um,
0: So Lowndes and Winkett win that race. Lowndes ends up in the title fight with Rick Kelly who fought with him for the win at Bathurst. The Phillip Island thing with those guys is part of V8 supercar history, folklore, all of that. It still riles people to this very day about the whole Rick Kelly championship winning thing. But the overlooked element there is that you got your first solo race win for FPR. Tell me how that felt compared to the Enduro where you, you did more than your share or more than your expected share. But that one was you. That was your win. Tell me. Yeah. Does, does that one stick out to you?
1: Um, yeah, it's funny because that race had so much drama going on that your your win personally means a lot but kind of was, you know, in title fights, yeah, it becomes the focus and, um, yeah, it's funny. But, uh, yeah, we played a bit of a role in all that mix as well because Ford back then was very, we want Ford to win and then Holden was very much, we want Holden to win. And then it was who's our allies, who's our friends, and that's kind of how it played back then, which mm. was really cool. Like that manufacturer love and um, passion and the president of Ford's there and the president of Holden's there and they're like, hey, you drive a Ford, know your role, play your role type thing.
0: Don't get in Craig's way.
1: Well, help, him, help out. him out. Help him out. Block some Holdens. Yeah, and um, – so, and then when they went out, it was like, oh...
0: Open slather. Yeah, now we're off, you know, <laughs> off we go.
1: So, um, I remember racing. It was Todd and I actually going um, battling and then Garth was involved in it in some way too. So, um, I think, you know, those two had their guidance of protect Rick and then we had our guidance of protect Craig. Boom, off they go. right, All right, open, yep, we're, out. we're, we're off. off. Can we race now? We're on. <laughs> and, yeah, so it was, it was a weird feeling to win that way, you know, like it was a weird weekend in some in many ways but... Um, yeah, cool to get your your first one, which then gives you confidence because starts you know end the year and then you start next year a race winner and you're not trying to tick that first box off again. You know it's mm. like achieved, done, right? A finish high. This is how we start, and that's the mindset.
0: And then that rolls to 2007. You talked earlier about that shootout and the pole and the richo preparation assistance for <laughs> for doing that. But from there on, you really formed. Your shootout game at Bathurst was very good. I mean, you had two poles in the front row. Um, you qualified front row five times overall. You clicked with that. Those cars were really good in that era at that place too. But you clicked in there. Tell me about the shootout, the process. What you? I mean, because it's, it's kind of the second or third most important race of the season in a way. Mm. Bathurst, the race, is the most important thing. Okay, there's Adelaide or some other marquee stuff. But it's, it's like I tried to explain to someone outside of our world last year, I said it's kind of like it's a private race between the 25 guys and girls and then the 10 who get into it. It's like this private, you know, race between them. Yep. It's like this badge of honour. Yep. If you've nailed a shootout pole or you've turned into some mega great lap, it lives in history, it lives in people's brains. And it's right up there in achievements beyond race wins at other tracks.
1: Yeah, it, it's funny because um, I think you and the stopwatch is nothing can affect it. So it's it's bravery. You pull the belts down, tighten them up, off you go, and you do the lap time. Any mistake, it's you on the track. You can hear it if there's a lockup, if there's a bit of wheel spin. If it, it's you are so isolated and solo that. And all, can you feel all the eyes? You, well, you can just bearing just, down on you. Just is like. Dead calm, you know. It's it's a calm before the storm type thing. But, um, but on Sunday you can pole Saturday, and then on Sunday the engine can fail, or this can happen, or that can happen. But in the shootout, really, it's just lap time, bravery, big lap. How hard do you push across the top? You know, it's so it is a race in itself, and to to get a pole position is um is is massive. But the the whole build up to it is bizarre. You know, Thursday you do your race runs and trying to make the car fast for Sunday and then Friday you literally you rock up and it's like you you're just getting th- new tyres. Um, everything from yesterday is now irrelevant. Thursday, it's like a whole other race. Yeah, there. so do Thursday for for Sunday and then those two days are connected. And then Friday and Saturday <laughs> yeah. are part of each I've other. I've never so stopped to think about it like that, so but it, yeah. It's yeah. really, really odd. But um but you know, you go around Friday and um it just I can give you a little bit more, just you know, when I need it, I, I can get it, and then that might be the difference between folding the mirror in and folding the car in. You know, like it's just there's always that belief of a little bit more, but then making the shootout so Friday becomes a little event in itself, provisional, and it's and it's clever how they do it because every night it's a big race. You wake up the next morning if you're on provisional pole, boom, paper back page. Yeah, there's your car. Yeah. There's your okay. So the hype from Friday is carried over to Saturday. Can they translate a provisional pole into pole position. Can the guy who or girl who was tenth, you know, rewrite history and come from tenth to here? So there's all this the storyline. We love a storyline. Storyline builds a story line. and um and then all day Saturday. So when, you know, in 07 you're on provisional pole, um, you know, knock Scafe off who the mecca of, of the mountain. He's the you know, pole king, you know, but yeah. In that like period
0: in supercar qualifying. Fast. So yeah. it
1: knocked him off. Wow, was it a lucky lap? Can you do it over one lap? Can you all these things you get asked and then um, Saturday, sunshine was out, twenty five degrees, beautiful. Nice bit of shading across the top and you know, plum conditions. To then grey clouds, yeah, richo breakdancing. Um, <laughs> you know, all day you go to corporate boxes, right? Here's the driver's hey, provisional pole, yeah, right, right. Can he back it up? Can so it's just the drama throughout the day. You actually get to the shootout and go, Thank goodness that's one lap because 'cause you're cooked from all the everything else. All the hype that goes with it, which um which is cool, but hype means it's important, you know. So then you start to take on the. It's important mm. to then going out and um, and then you look in the garage and all eyes are on you and you know guys like Richard who are ridiculously experienced. Um, it's nice that he didn't say, "Oh no, you have to do this or that." He was like, "Right, mate, you you do your thing." And I felt really for the first shootout lap, really quite comforted by the by having him the way he approached it. Um, to then going out, nailing it and then just I remember the, the team just went absolutely nuts and it was like we'd won the biggest race. It, it was a win of a win. Massive. Yeah. And then next day cars on the back page and your car's on pole position and fighter jets are flying over and it's you only have to walk from your garage to there. It's a short walk. It's It's got everything going for it, you know, and um, uh, yes, unbelievable. And I think um, Richo actually started that year. He started most years. So, so you didn't get to have the the pole that you scored the pole, but you didn't yeah, get to use it. But yeah. I remember, like, but it's one in all in. That's the great thing about a good teammate that it's one in all in. Whether you do it or he does it, it's it doesn't matter. Wins a win if you win, car when you cross the line, matter at you all. win. Regardless. But not everyone thinks that way. <laughs> no, true. There's a but, bit um, of ego around. There's, there's a but, bit um, of. That. So no, he, and actually we led into turn one four years in a row. So I put it on third one year, and he it was damp. And he led into Turn 1. Oh, 09. Yep, yep oh, 09. Yep. So for three years in a row we'd led and it was Richo every time. And I'm like, I could put this car anywhere and you're going to lead just, into just one. Just let so. Him do it. <laughs> so, it was, yeah, it was a good run.
0: I spoke to Tim Edwards recently I had a sit down with him and he came on the pod and we talked about a bunch of different stuff from the FPR era but we just couldn't avoid 07 Bathus because it was the one that got – in his mind it's the, the one that got away. Thankfully later on the team did get – well, two, you got one and Chaz got one. But he said that was the one that in his mind is head and shoulders above anything else. Is that the way you, you see it? With, um, you know, you've done 20 Bathursts? Yeah.
1: That's like I didn't understand Bathurst. And when you lose one and you're young, you're like, no, oh, like you're massively disappointed. But you're like, oh, I'll go next year, I'll win it next year. Like it's I don't really hold um, – negative into much. I'm one of those people that's like, oh I'll stuff it, I'll go next year and I'll do a better job. And um because you can't live in hindsight or regret or you know, done, you know what I mean? It? It's yeah, done. So can't change it. um but I remember uh we had a 25 second lead Like we were um we were cruising, you know, <laughs> like it was pretty well like, so what's that champagne gonna taste like? And you know, but what it what it did do actually was make you realise that Bathurst isn't over and Car spun at the cutting and 25 seconds become bumpers, which was fine because we are still way faster than the other cars, to then rain, never driven in Bathurst in the wet, slick tyres. <laughs> it was like just, I don't know. Who's writing t- the script here? This if is I not had what my time again, we win that race with my experience and that's mm. what I was up against. I was up against Lowndes who had the experience of what I've got now and I remember going into the chase just flicking that white line and it just lost the rear and off it went it's like the playstation where you barrel off through, <laughs> but i didn't make 25 seconds coming out the other side but um but yeah it the one that got away like i i took it I, I like have a high level that i hate making mistakes and if it's other people that do something let you down i can work with it when it's yourself you go far it like but i then go and look at how i can improve and get better you know but um you know, my mistake cost a team that day, no doubt. And, um, but at the same time, something didn't want me to win, you know, it rained at a point where, why didn't the wind just <laughs> blow it down 30 minutes down the road and there's no dramas. It's, um, but it, yeah, it made me realize that Bathurst isn't easy to win, but that was only my fourth attempt, but that was Tickford's whatever attempt, you know, like they... Well, they, they debuted the same year you debuted <laughs> yeah. with Stones in, so, in 03. So, so they, they'd had a few close calls and mm. that was definitely um, mm. yeah, definitely one to win. It's a great
0: point you raise there because that whole experience you thing and I've talked to some guys about um, Bathus particularly because it's the one that stands above all others and I've talked to them about you know, seeing people who finish second or third on the podium and I always feel like, there's a real mixture of wow, what a great result. We're here, there's champagne, people are cheering, happy days, versus I just came within 0.5, 1.2, however many seconds mm. the gap was of winning the thing that matters to me most in my professional maybe life, life. And I don't know if I'm gonna get another I don't know. I can't guarantee that I'm gonna get another shot. Yep. I mean, David Reynolds in 2012 was a bit like that, trying to catch Wink Up. He did get one five years on. But you just don't. So the young guy like you in 07 goes, ah, I've got plenty of time ahead. I'm a shot. And I'm sure Glenn Seton thought the same thing back in the day and didn't get one, deserved one, didn't get one. So it's a really interesting thing now that here you are, you know, an older, mature guy who's been there and done it, got the T-shirt, sent the postcard, all that sort of stuff. How would you think this way now? If that sort of scenario unfolds, do you go, ah, that's going to really irk me now because you know, you've got plenty left, you're not anywhere near done. But the different mentality from 07 to 20, you know, what are we talking, 16-odd years?
1: Yeah, I don't make the mistake now that I made then, I'll mm. be honest, um, mm. because what you learn and sometimes, you know, if you had have won that race, you may not have learnt the lessons in life that I needed to learn, you know. But, True. Um, but every year that goes on gets harder because you have one less year of doing it. Like that's just human, like human mm. nature, isn't mm. it, where you get older it's like, well, if I've only got five years left, that's only five chances. But when you're 20 years old, you've got 20 more chances. It's percentages say you're going to mm. win one somewhere. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you get closer to the end. It's like, shit, <laughs> something's going on here. So, mm. um, so yeah, but I don't think, you know, because even in that race, on the restart, I drove, I think I pulled two second gap on him on lounge. And I'm like, Farad, he's just, there's a reason he did that. Like he was building his tyres up and, um He'd been in that situation before. He knew that with 14 to go, I was trying to build a gap. He knew I was going to come undone. Like it's just and like I would look at young guys now. Yeah, I'd probably play the same role, you know. So um,
0: and it re- it makes me rewind back because what was that 2007? Mm-hmm. Six years earlier, before you'd started. He goes like a cut cat in the Gibson Green eyed thing. Yep. In similar conditions, it puts it in the
1: wall at the way. Correct. Other yeah. Right. So there's that exact experience flowing through. Yep. And he didn't do it that year. So, mm. <laughs> so you learn. So, mm. um, but uh, yeah. Sometimes you only get one chance, you know. And then what I realized though, after 06 was this gonna when Scafe went out. This is an easy day. Bang, we're gone. 07, this is an easy day. Bang, we're gone. It's like, stop thinking it's an easy day. Yeah. Day. It's like, yeah. It, it's not easy. Like, it's, yeah, you, you need everything to go right for you. And then it probably makes you hungrier than if you had of just won two, eat, like not easy, but like races where you dominated to then have to work your backside off. It made that one win even more satisfying knowing the heartache and the emotions and the, you know, what you go through. Um, I would have taken two easy ones yeah, over I was one hard say, one. You'd still taken, but but, yeah. um, but it does show you how you know how much it means. And then you look at the guys like Seaton, who eight laps to go, the thing fails, mm. and you know that's it's very hard to overcome, like <laughs> mentally, and it's hard to overcome when you don't get one.
0: It's a great point that you raise because it makes me think. To your win in thirteen, being an AFL supporter, that same year Hawthorne wins the first of three in a row the year before they lost to Sydney in the grand final game that they were the hot favourites for. The year before they fought the last hurdle, the prelim against Collingwood still irks me to this day. <laughs> but I've heard a lot of those Hawthorne players talk about how that, that 3 peak doesn't happen if they don't lose 12 or 11. Same yeah.
1: sort of scenario at the same time that you were going through. So that's yeah. Sort of You've seen it in sport a lot. Like, um, But yeah, you'd always take one easy one. Like It's it's not like you purposely, you know, obviously, which we don't, but... Um, but it it makes you appreciate it because when you when you want something so much and then you go I've got it and then oh well, someone it? took it off me I don't mm. have it. Far, you can either just fold and give up; it's too hard, or you work your backside off to make sure that when you do get a chance again, um, you'll 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 die trying. You know, like you'll you'll make sure that mm. no one takes it away from you, and that's um, yeah, it happens a lot in sport, and you see. Teams that do win easily come out, and AFL a perfect example, like they come out and Fremantle, for example, makes the finals, they're 17th. This team, win, boom. And it's just, yeah, it's a flow on sometimes. And yeah. the teams that grind it out, work hard, find a way, and that becomes their strength, their point of difference. And, you know, Tickford, I think, back then, was so desperate to win that race that their point of difference was, was a, not desperation but you are like they have to win that race. As as a Ford factory team, they had to win it and um, it become, you know, it wasn't if it was when it's going to happen. You could see the mindset. People wouldn't leave until they won Bathurst. Like so you didn't lose staff and, um, you know, 13 we win, boom, James Small's gone because he, <laughs> yeah. he, he ticked his box, you know, yeah. like what do you want to do in Australia? I want to win Bathurst. Boom, done, okay, mission accomplished. I've done what I need to do here. Boom, off he goes and he's winning. Um, Lobster races and all sorts of stuff (laughs) over there. You do lose staff and and you lose people. So winning sometimes can, you know, in 07 we might have lost staff that ticked a box. They waited another six years to to win one. Um, So sometimes, yeah, it does make it worth a bit more.
0: Well, that's where we're going to leave this episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. But the good news is, listeners, there is good news. Next week, we have not just one part of chat with Frosty, we have two more parts of chat with Mark Winterbottom. We had such a big chat out at Team 18 recently that we had to divide it up into a 3 part It was just so much stuff. I couldn't leave anything out. We had to get it all in. So, on the next episode, we go deeper again. We talk about his rivalry with Jamie Winker We talk about his championship-winning season in 2015, that decision to leave Tickford Racing and some of the elements that led up to it, why he's enjoying life now at Team 18, and just what that win in Darwin at Hidden Valley earlier this year meant to not just him, but the people around him as well. And for some fun, I've got a few challenges for Frosty, and I've got to say, he was right on the money. He knows his numbers very well. Right, that's next time. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Pod. Go through the back catalogue in the meantime to listen to some of our previous episodes and I'll be back next week with another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast polished by Bowden's own premium car care. Chat with you then. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil Tool. Simply type in your Joe, select your state and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2 and oil and find out.